complaints about flooding, low water pressure, strangely coloured and foul-tasting water had driven the hotel to investigate. A maintenance worker rose to the roof of the tall building, set a ladder against the side of the water tank, and peered inside. What he discovered launched a macabre modern mystery that's perplexed people the world over, and added yet another terrible addition to the Cecil Hotel's infamous history. The worker found the body of a woman, naked and bloated, floating face upwards beneath the surface of the hotel's water supply. As police investigated, bizarre security footage was found, and a detailed look into the woman's conspiracy theories and the deadly occupants of the hotel began. This is an infamous case that's conjured dozens of theories, with peculiar twists and turns that horrify and fascinate anyone who examines it. Today, we dive into the murky waters of this story, and try to discover what happened to Elisa Lamb. Welcome once more to Charnel FM, a dilapidated and decrepit radio station that aims to bring you everything and anything that raises the hairs on the back of your neck. True crime, real mysteries of the world, ghost and folk tales, creepy cryptids, and more. Today's particular piece of modern history is only nine years old at the time of this broadcast, and is still one that is very present in the minds of us who hold a fascination with the morbid. It's a mystery with bizarre twists and rather foul details. It focuses on the saddening death of Elisa Lam, the mysterious circumstances that surround it, and the terrible legacy of the Cecil Hotel itself. Was this all a terrible accident, a murder mystery with an unknown killer, or is there something else at work entirely? As with all our investigations, we'll provide you with the details, dear listener, and encourage you to come to your own conclusions. Our story begins on January 26th, 2013, when 21-year-old Lam Ho Yi, or known by her English name, Elisa Lam, checked into the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. She was a student at the University of British Columbia, and an avid blogger who enjoyed posting about models, fashion, and her struggles with mental illness. Lam had been diagnosed with depression and bipolar disorder, and while she had been prescribed many different medications, she had a history of not taking them, and sometimes suffered hallucinations for it. She also had no history of suicide ideolations or attempts. Remember this particular part for later. Lam was in Los Angeles as part of her solo backpacking getaway trip around the west coast of the United States. It was a break from university, as students do. Many take a gap year, or time to enjoy themselves before they dedicate to exams and work. She would check in with her parents back in Canada by calling them via mobile phone daily. Before her disappearance, she was seen frequently around the hotel she was staying at, and both guests and staff recall seeing her many times. She was also seen in a bookstore before her disappearance, purchasing souvenirs that she intended to bring back home to her family when she returned. Everything seemed fine and in order until January 31st, where she was scheduled to check out and leave the hotel. Lam, however, did not appear for such. She didn't phone her parents that day either, and understandably worried, they notified the Los Angeles Police Department who began a search for her. Her parents even flew there from Canada to assist with such. Police searched the hotel to the legal extent that they were allowed. 
They searched her room, and sniffer dogs were used to scour the building for her scent, but it turned up nothing. A week after their search, the police distributed flyers and posters with photographs of Elisa Lam and some details of her and her disappearance, hoping that someone might report seeing something. It catapulted Lam's case into the attentions of both the public and the media. Another week later, and the infamous security footage of the elevator was discovered. The video is taken from a security camera inside the elevator, and its perspective looks out towards the open door where the corridor outside is visible. It's an infamous piece of footage, and you might have already come across it on the internet without realising it. Lam enters the elevator at a seemingly relaxed pace, but strangely, she immediately presses some four or five buttons on the elevator's panel. Eight seconds pass. She slowly approaches the door before lunging outwards as if trying to scare someone nearby, and looks both right and left. Seeing nothing, she retreats and pushes herself into the furthest corner of the elevator, hiding out of sight. Nine seconds later, Lam once more peeks outside the doors to the elevator before standing just outside. Through this entire time, the elevator doors have not shut once, nor have they seemingly attempted to. Lam seems agitated, scared, or anxious. She fidgets frequently, changing which foot she rests her weight on, her posture, and her stance. She takes steps in and out of the elevator, as if unsure of herself, then disappears out of vision in the corridor to the left of the doors. Almost 30 seconds later, Lam returns, holding her head in her hands and moves to press every button on the panel this time. Her behaviour grows even more bizarre as she exits the elevator once more. She bobs side to side and waves her arms about, fingers splayed open and making very peculiar gestures. To me, it almost seems as if she were petting a very large and imaginary animal. Her mouth moves, clearly speaking to someone or something as she does it, but no other person is ever seen on the footage. Finally, she grows very still, before suddenly walking off camera for good. Nearly 30 seconds later, completely empty, the elevator door finally and slowly closes. The entire video runs for barely four minutes, but it's one of the stranger points of this case. Some say that Lam seems frightened, and speak of her hiding and trying to avoid a potential stalker. Some say that she might be hallucinating, referring to the strange gestures and relaxed speed at which she moves about the elevator. The release of the video only poured fuel onto the fires of attention that this case had already started. Conspiracy theories exploded across the internet, and the story broached mainstream news and media across the world as far away as China. I'll include a link to the video in the description so you can see it for yourself. While this was still ongoing, complaints from the guests began to file into the hotel's help desk. Some complained that there was poor water pressure, that the water in their rooms was black and had a foul taste to it. On the morning of February 19th, 19 days after Elisa Lam's mysterious disappearance, maintenance worker Santiago Lopez ascended to the roof of the Cecil Hotel to check on the hotel's four 1,000-gallon water tanks. These tanks supplied water to the guest rooms, the kitchens, and even a nearby coffee shop. Lopez set a ladder against the tank, climbed up, and peered within the dark container, where he made a grim and terrible discovery. There, floating face up just below the surface of the water, was the bloated, decomposing, and nude body of Elisa Lam. 
Her skin was green and marbled, and her clothes, room key, and watch were floating beside her. The police were notified, the tank was drained, and the fire department cut her out of the tank. The coroner's office ruled it an accidental drowning, attributing her bipolar disorder as a significant factor. The office said they found no evidence of trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. Toxicology tests showed that she'd only taken her prescription medications, and other light over-the-counter medications such as ibuprofen. There were no recreational drugs in her system, but there was a small amount of alcohol present. Despite its ruling as an accidental drowning, they failed to state exactly how she managed to get into the tank. The doors to the roofs are locked with keys and a passcode only accessible by hotel staff, but use of the fire escape would have allowed her to bypass such. All of the water tanks were 8 feet tall and propped up on concrete cinder blocks, and while there was a ladder nearby, the hatches are solid metal and hard to open. However, the hotel employee who found Elisa Lam stated that the hatch was left open at the time, and a video posted to the internet days after Lam's death shows that two of the hatches had been left open for whatever reason. What makes this case even more disturbing is the fact that for over three weeks, the guests of the hotel, anyone who ate from the kitchen, and the customers of that coffee shop were drinking the water that Elisa Lam had been slowly decomposing in. Some are not swayed by the toxicology report, and believe that drugs played a hand in how Lam ended up in that tank. The strange gestures in the elevator video, and the lack of clothes when she was found, suggest to some that she was high on something at the time. They say that the drugs might have broken down in her body in the time before her discovery, or that she might have taken a rare cocktail of drugs that would not appear on a screening. Some think that she might not have taken her medications as she was supposed to, and was suffering hallucinations because of it. This would explain the rather bizarre behaviour in the elevator, and possibly how she came to end up in the tank. If, under hallucinations, she decided that she wanted to go for a swim, she could have stripped off before climbing inside. People are often found in similar conditions in pools or lakes after drinking too much. This theory is backed by the very low level of prescription drugs found in her system by the toxicology reports. It suggests that she had either stopped taking her medication, or was drastically under-medicating which might have led to a psychotic episode. Suicide is likely ruled out by the staff of a local bookshop that served Lam on the day that she disappeared. Lam was there to buy souvenirs for her parents, and they stated that she seemed happy and in good spirits while she was shopping. If she intended to kill herself, why would she purchase the gifts for her parents that would probably never find their way home? Others believe more nefarious and evil causes. The coroner's office did not state what the findings of the rape and fingernail kit actually were, but given that such information is important, one can only assume that it came back negative. However, the autopsy report did state a few more graphic things about her condition that one can't mention without an explicit not safe for work warning. But, the coroner's pathologists maintained that Lamb's death was accidental. To this day, nobody knows for certain just how or why Elisa Lamb came to be within the water tank. It's a mystery that will likely never be solved, but the infamy, the bizarre additions, and the dismal conditions surrounding it means that it's a story that won't be forgotten soon. It's become yet another dark shadow in the Cecil Hotel's history. The building is no stranger to murders, suicides, unexplained deaths, and some of the most evil villains that have lived among us. Many have committed suicide while staying at the Cecil Hotel. 
The first was Percy Ormond in 1927, a 52-year-old cook who shot himself in the head when he failed to reconcile with his wife and child. So many suicides have occurred in the hotel that the locals began referring to it as the suicide. More than suicides occur as the hotel is in a poor location that has quickly grown infamous for murders, violence, drug activity and prostitution. As if this isn't enough, it was even potentially home to the serial killer Richard Ramirez, also known as the Night Stalker. In the 1980s, Ramirez was spotted in the streets near the hotel and civilians attempted to prevent him from escaping the police. A hotel clerk also claims to have served Ramirez as he was checking into the hotel. For whatever reason, it's good to know that Elisa Lam will not be forgotten anytime soon. But what's your opinion, dear listener? Do you believe Elisa Lam's death was simply an unfortunate accident, brought on by withdrawal from much needed medications? Was she forced there by a potential killer or rapist? Or perhaps there's another theory you hold to that we've not mentioned here. As always, let me know. Before we move on to our cryptid of the week, we'll give the special shoutouts for this broadcast. To everyone who's worrying about the health of a friend or family member. To anyone who's enjoying the oppressive summer sun. And to everyone named Ben. You all have our special shoutouts for this episode. Today's Cryptid of the Week is a reptilian cryptid that plagues the smaller villages and communities of Indonesia. Hostile and deadly to people, this tall creature goes out of its way to satisfy its craving for human flesh. Today, I wish to speak to you all of the ravenous, the terrifying, the bloodthirsty Kawak. In Nusa Kambagan, which is an Indonesian island home to around 3,000 natives and several hundred prison inmates, they know the Kawak well. The island is a mythical place, supposedly home to the fabled Flower of Victory, which, according to folklore, can be used to bring a person back from the dead. Legends also state that the worthy Sultanate must travel there in order to find one, which will signal that they are the true and rightful king. It is also relatively wild and untamed, given that the island has been declared a wildlife sanctuary. Thick jungle dominates most of the island and both flora and fauna run free. Aside from the prisons, electricity is only accessible through portable generators, and communities are small. When leaving their homes, village residents carry with them a golok, which is a traditional machete for self-defense against the island's creatures. The Kawak is one such creature that they aim to protect themselves against, with stories being told again and again from generation to generation. Picture it, dear listener. A recent death in the family has meant that the body must be prepared for burial. With burials usually occurring within 24 hours, the preparations must be swift. You and two others are gathered in the main room of your small village home. The deceased, an old aunt, is laid out on a simple table while you, your mother, and your father prepare them for burial. You have bathed the body to clean it, and now you are wrapping it in a funerary shroud of white linen. It's strange and sad, but it must be done to show respect for your loved one. A torrential storm beats itself upon your house. Heavy rain crashes against the corrugated metal roofing of your home, the dirt road of the outside streets, and the concrete slabs that your house is built upon. It's a never-ending and near-deafening noise that is impossible to tune out, and has likely contributed to the silence that you and your family work in. The atmosphere is understandably sad and sombre. 
It's always a sad thing when a relative dies, even more so when you were the one who must prepare the body for its last and final journey. But your night has only just begun, and it's about to get far, far worse. The loudness of the rain means you don't even hear it until it's already upon you. You don't hear the scuffling, scratching noises of scaled feet and claws dragging a terrible and large body closer. You don't hear it as it sniffs at the cracks in your metal door, and with your back to it, you don't see the shifting of its dark frame between the gap of door and doorframe. All of you are unaware of it until there's the loud and metallic crash as it hits itself upon your door. Your mother screams, and all three of you turn to look towards the door as it smashes once more upon the thin barrier. Your father immediately runs to grab the machete from nearby, ready to defend his family should it force its way inside. There's a hissing noise from the beast. Flight or fight kicks in and adrenaline floods your body. The once inescapable rain has turned to white noise, filtered out of your attention as your body focuses solely on the threat at hand. From the moving shadows you can see behind the door, this creature is huge, as tall as your doorway if not taller, and it is repeatedly bringing its huge weight to crash against the entrance. The scraping of its talons squeak against the steel door, the snuffling noise as it chuffs, breathing in deep of the smells from inside your home, and the odd hiss whenever it frustratedly cannot enter. You stand and watch for what seems like hours, unable to do anything as the beast tries to force its way into the only entrance of your house. You can hear more of them now. A myriad of footsteps outside, circling the house as they look for other entrances. They hiss and grumble in communication, before eventually the footsteps fade away, and there's a final scraping noise as the monster pulls back from your door and shuffles into the jungle, disappearing once more. The three of you stand, waiting to see if this is a ruse or a trap, but eventually the loudness of the rain returns until it's all that fills your mind. That and the rapid beating of your heart, and the terrified expressions that you and your family give one another before continuing with your funerary necessity. What you've just seen is the Kawak, a large reptilian cryptid that's reported to harass and attack the people of Nasa Kambagan. It's a corpse eater, a scavenger whose favourite meal is the bodies of deceased people. It will dig them up whenever it can to satisfy its cravings, but it's also been known to attack and try to kill people if bodies are not laying around to eat. It's reported to look very similar to a Komodo dragon, albeit somewhat larger, but the main difference is that this particular beast walks on its hind legs and will attack you with both tooth and claw. It's said that Murdoch News reported in 2014 that a fisherman and guide of the island had actually seen the beast firsthand. Because it was late at night when his friend died, they placed his body in a boat and took it out to sea to avoid the body being consumed by the Kawak. As they set off, he turned to see that almost a dozen had arrived by the coast's edge and were watching with beady, hungry black eyes as their meal escaped them into the waters. If you search for the Kawak's name on YouTube and Instagram, you'll find many reported encounters of blurry, shaky videos that see large lizards running away from them, or running across a street or from cover to cover of the thick underbrush. It's seen a resurgence as of late, with an increased frequency of reportings from 2019 onwards. The Kawak might simply be an undocumented type of monitor lizard, or a mutation from an already existing one, such as the Komodo dragon. Some say that it's a forgotten descendant of the dinosaurs, which is why it still walks on its hind legs. 
It's also possible that this is all tall tales. It's well known that Komodo dragons will eat meat in just about any condition, so it's not impossible that these sightings are just mistaken identity. But what do you think, dear listener? Are you an avid Kawak believer or a denier? Do you believe that there are deadly, corpse-eating lizards roaming the jungles of Indonesia, or is this all swept away with a simple explanation? Whatever your belief, I'd be interested to know. If you have a particular mystery you want investigated, any stories you'd like read on the air, if you have any experiences with the Grim and the Macabre, or if there's a particular cryptid you want me to cover, then reach out to me at charnelfm at gmail.com and tell me. You can also follow the show's Twitter account, which is also at charnelfm. Speaking of the Twitter, I'm currently in a rather sad and chaotic period of my life. And while I won't bore you with the drama or the details, this may affect the podcast greatly. If you check the Twitter page, I will be posting updates to the schedule there if there are any. That signals that it's time for the end of this particular episode, but not before I send you all away with another frightening fact. Ensure that your friends and family know that you love them, tell them often, reinforce that you value their well-being and appreciate them in your life. The reason for this is that fate is often not very kind, and one day they might be with us, the next we go without. The Brain Aneurysm Foundation has a page dedicated to the statistics of aneurysms in general, and by their estimate, in the United States, roughly every 18 minutes, someone dies from a brain aneurysm. Many people in the world right now could be walking around with a ticking biological bomb in their brain, and they might not know it until it is too late. So value your health, dear listener. Get yourself checked regularly by a medical professional, and ensure that your family does likewise. Don't allow your loved ones to turn into here today, gone tomorrow. Good morning, good evening, and good night. This is Charnel FM, signing off. The songs used in this episode are titled In Order, Terminal, Giant Worm, and Long Note 2. They are made by Kevin MacLeod and are licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. His website is ecompitech.com and he makes brilliant music. Give him a click and a listen.